Welcome to the Leadership Network Podcast. Leadership Network is a community of multipliers who gather to collaborate, innovate, and pursue what God has next for His church. Our mission is to champion healthy growth that is capable of reproducing. Thank you for joining this conversation, and here's today's episode. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Generation Next show. We are so glad that you all are here. My name is Hannah Gronowski Barnett, and this is my pretty cool co-host. Yeah, Aaron Barnett. That's We're right. super excited to be here. We are super excited. If you've been around the show for the last few months, we started this show back in March, which is wild. So we've been here for the last few months, um, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern time. And we're showing up here every single week um, because we truly believe, probably a lot like you, Watcher, um, that the next generation mm-hmm. really matters. Yeah. That we don't want to be the people that just hope that the next generation comes back to the right. church. We don't want to just wonder when they'll walk back through our doors, but instead we want to be intentional. We want to do the hard work now mm-hmm. to really equip ourselves and other leaders across the world to intentionally build churches when the next generation feel welcomed and safe. And that is why we're in the midst of a three-week series that I'm really excited about. You want to talk a little bit about it? Yeah, it's super exciting. It's all about um, mental health. And what I love about mental health is um, it's something that we need to pay attention to. It's something that we need to have regular conversations on. It's something that we need to pay um, closer attention to when it comes down to the next generation. Yes. Uh, What we're feeling and experiencing with the next generation is this rise in mental health and how to actually care, empathize and value uh, people that may be dealing with mental health struggles. Yes. And so we are so excited. So, so, so excited for this conversation with Kobe. Uh, Kobe, I'm so excited that you're here. Welcome to the Leadership Network uh, webinar. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you guys. I'm so excited to have this necessary conversation and grateful that you guys are hosting it. Yeah, thank you. We're we're really grateful for your voice, Kobe. Um, if for those watching, if you were here last week, you saw us have a conversation with Lindsay Blodgett all about this big idea that we need to have a mental health strategy mm-hmm. for our churches, and that is so true. And you know, one thing that we could do is just have these one-off conversations, and and that would be great. But we really wanted to take these three weeks specifically to go a little bit deeper, to go into some of the nuance, to mm-hmm. really unpack even more what it looks like to again create churches that actually are safe places mm-hmm. to welcome the next generation oh, in. And I have worked with so many young leaders, as Aaron has, as Kobe has, as I'm sure a lot of you all have who've walked into my church, walked into my small group, walked into my community. And it's not too long before you hear some sort of um, explanation that they are dealing with anxiety, that they are feeling depressed, that they can't get out of bed in the morning, that they have social anxiety, that maybe even they're they're suicidal. And, And there's all these things that come really fast at us as leaders the minute we start getting involved in the next generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we thought if we're going to show all about why we should be more intentional and engaged in the lives of the next generation, but we're not equipping us as leaders on what to do in those moments when they share mm-hmm. those deep experiences of their lives, those deep, real struggles, then we're going to miss one of the most pivotal moments to show them the love of Jesus, which is in our responses. So that is why this conversation is so important. Mm -hmm. 
And Kobe, you are a gift in our lives and you are a gift to this world. So share with our listeners just a little bit about who you are, what you do and what you're passionate about. Absolutely. So my name is Kobe Campbell. I am a licensed clinical mental health counselor in the state of North Carolina. Um, I specialize in trauma. I have a wellness organization called the Healing Circle Therapy and Wellness um, Center. And what we do is we provide um, trauma therapy, trauma resources, and we specialize in providing that to people who identify as Christians, as believers. And I'm just so grateful to give those resources because the church needs them. Um, People Mm -hmm. who are finding their way back to the church, people who are questioning the church, people who are um, in and in between the body of Christ um, need these resources, need that love, need the hands and feet of Jesus by way of therapists. And I'm just so grateful I get to serve in that capacity. That's incredible. We're so grateful you're doing it. It's such good, important work. Um, Kobe, let's just start with a really broad question. We'll we'll continue to go deeper here. But I I appreciate that you have a really special um, focus on trauma. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's a really interesting um, word that has become a lot more mainstream in this generation. I mean, Gen at a very young age, they're very able to say, this is the trauma in my life. Yeah. And probably really good things about that. Maybe there's mm-hmm. some even negative things about that. I'm not sure. But when it comes to the next generation and trauma, like mm-hmm. how, how do wow. we even define what trauma is? Um, and then like, how, how do we create safe places for trauma to be expressed in yeah. a community? Absolutely. Such a beautiful question. So trauma in the most fundamental sense is a wound. The word trauma translates to the word wound, right? And so when we think about what trauma is, trauma is wounds of our past that affect our present and our hope for the future, right? So we may experience something, but Um, I still think people are good people. I still believe that God is worth trusting. I'm still plugged into my community. I'm still willing to serve at my church, right? We can experience pain Mm -hmm. without living through the lens of that pain. When we start living through the lens of what that pain has taught us, that's often how we know we've experienced trauma. I often tell my clients who they come in and they're like, I don't have trauma. And one of the things I ask is, is there any moment that has happened in your life where you have said, after this moment, I will never blink again. Mm. Wow. We make silent vows and silent covenants to never do or uh, engage in things that are natural for us to engage in, or even things that God has led us to engage in because of pain, then we know that we've experienced trauma. Wow. wow. That's, That's so a good. really helpful explanation because so often we can be afraid of that word if we're not familiar oh, yeah. with If we... Let's be honest, if we don't think we've experienced it, if if we're just assuming, oh, trauma is the worst of the worst. But what yeah. that actually does, I think, for a lot mm-hmm. of people watching, even if if you've been one of those people that have been afraid of the conversation on trauma because you don't know that you're familiar with it, that yeah. helps us all realize we've all experienced a right. moment, a, a, even a micro expression of a traumatic event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Relate better to the trauma in other people's lives. That that's really helpful. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm curious, Kobe, in mm-hmm. your experience and things that you've learned. Um, not only is there past trauma, but I think there's also present trauma. And the word mm-hmm. triggered or 
that triggers me um, is I think on the rise, it's more recent uh, term that I feel like people have been dropping a lot more in my circles and my conversations. Talk about when it comes down to people dealing with present or past trauma that that actually goes into present trauma, maybe things that people aren't really uh, have healed through things that people have done that are triggering to them. Um, I would love to learn what, what are some things that you've been learning about that are super that you're passionate about in this season when it comes down to maybe depression, um, Mm -hmm. anxiety, suicidal ideation, um, when it comes down to the next gen, how do we have conversations around this topic just from a broad perspective? Absolutely. So first, I want to give a definition of uh, triggers, too. So when I explain triggers to people, I often say um, a trigger is feeling the heat of a flame, um, the, the heat of a fire in the absence of a flame. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's feeling wow. the heat of a fire in the absence of a flame. Right. right. It's your body. biologically remembering what fire felt like right and responding as if the fire is there even if it's not right and our body we we have that biological memory and i think that many people use the word triggered to um to reference feeling overwhelmed feeling frustrated and it's not just feeling overwhelmed and feeling frustrated it's a reminder that there's an unaddressed wound from the past that keeps showing up in the present. Right. And so we know, excuse me, we know we're triggered when we have a disproportionate response to the present stimuli. Right. Mm -hmm. When someone bumps into us and we fall on the ground and say our legs broken. Right. (laughs) (laughs) There is, there is a past wound that, that, is recapitulating into the present. And until we address it, it's going to keep showing up wherever we go. We can't, we can't outrun it. Um, One of the analogies I use with my clients is when you're hungry, does time absolve your hunger or does it just make you more hungry? Wow. Right. And many of us have been convinced that if we just wait long enough, it's, it's been so long, like I should be over that. And it's like, no, actually time is exacerbating your pain. It's not, it's not absolving you of it. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not remedying your pain. Time is actually intensifying your pain because the longer you go without these needs met, um, the more damage you do your body to your spirit and the more pain that you're in and the more accustomed you get to being in pain and acting out of pain. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the value for um, a lot of leaders, specifically in the church, to address childhood traumas, things that keep coming up. I say, if you have a random flash memory of your childhood that randomly comes up in certain moments, that's an invitation from the Holy Spirit to dive deeper into some of those moments, because you may think that you are um, operating in healthy and good leadership, but when you've been unhealthy for so long, you lose a sense of tolerance of what's healthy and what's not. Yeah, time can distort your perspective and you can become accustomed to uh, the pain and the dysfunction so much so that you're you're blinded to it until someone else points it out, which is why it's so important to have, like you mentioned, mental health strategies and people who are designed to train to intervene because we can't intervene for ourselves. Right. Right. Something else that has been really coming up for me, I'm studying um Numbers uh, 11 and First Kings 19 a couple of weeks ago, and it just felt like God was like, people need to hear this. Um, 
many of us think that depression, anxiety, and suicidality are an exception to the role of leadership. And as I was studying, God was showing me depression, anxiety, and suicidality are actually part of the role of leadership. Wow. When we stop, when we stop making those experiences an exception, we stop marginalizing leaders who feel it. And we actually start making provision for this. We say, hey, leadership has such a burden. These are the things that may naturally arise. Let's make provision for it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that is so important for us because we miss like so in Numbers 11, Moses and I love Moses. Moses uh, says to the Lord, why have you brought me in this trouble on your servant? Why have I what have I done to dispense you that you may put the burden of all these people on me? He's like, God, do not put this on me. Why did you put this on me? He said, did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth mm-hmm. to them? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms and nurse them um, as uh, one does an infant, right? And wow. Any of our responses to leaders who are overwhelmed is you need more training. Uh, you need more prayer. Yeah. Um, you're not being disciplined. You yeah. need a new strategy. Yes. And we look at Numbers 11, we go to verse 16 and What does God say? God doesn't say, what's wrong with you? This is what you're supposed to do. This is part of the job title. You better buck up and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do it. God says to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. In response to anxiety, to depression, to worry, to fear. And I skipped over verse 14. He said, please go ahead and kill me if I have found favor in your eyes. That is Moses literally expressing in Numbers 11, verse 14, suicidal ideation. And God's response to suicidal ideation is not even to respond to the suicidal ideation. It's to respond to the burden that causes suicidal ideation. Wow. He does not even address. He doesn't even say like, well, you know, suicide's a sin. Well, how could you not hope is your hope is in the Lord? Like, how could you not? You know what I'm saying? Like, he doesn't say any of that. He just says, "Okay, you're burdened to the point of wanting to die because of leading these people. Cool. I'll send you support. That's you. I'll send you support. What if we allowed a space for pastors and leaders and and people who are in, in the space of leading people to Christ to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. And our response is not to shame them or sit them down, but to send them more support. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, if that's not a word for our generation, like I have so many, you know, like I have like the tingles, I have like the tears coming to my eyes just because I wow. mean, we all have seen so many people who we love who have been in these spaces. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, this is a part of Aaron's story. He shared it here on the show a, a little bit as well. I mean, he found himself at a point where he was having a lot of these thoughts and um, ha- you know, struggling with suicidal ideation when he was 23. And for him, one of the biggest things that changed it was the community that came around yeah. you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I really do think, you know, this conversation at this moment is going to be, is going to prove to be one of the, um, the defining conversations of the next generation of the church. That if we can't figure this out, if we can't create space for these conversations, a lot of the next generation who now 
are more aware that they're struggling or are, are at least having the language to talk about it. Yeah. They're going to have it all. And then when they get to the position of leadership and they've always been allowed to talk about it with their peers and their community yeah. and their counselors at school and their secular communities, and then they get to a position of church leadership and they talk about it. If it's not met with grace and healing, yeah, we're going to lose an entire generation of the next generation of church leaders, right? Absolutely. And so, Obey, you know, how do we let let's say there's some some pastors, some some church leaders watching this right now who this still feels a little bit mm. foreign. It might feel uncomfortable to them um, to you know sit down in a staff meeting and, and when somebody brings up their trauma. When, when the 18-year-old intern checks in by saying, I was triggered this week when I had to go back and see my mom because of the trauma in my life. Yeah. Is it going to be silent? Like, what is the pastor that wants to respond well, but doesn't know how to, like, what do they do, right? Like, mm-hmm. how, how can we give them some tools to lead and, and, and create an expectation where leaders can struggle, but maybe they just have no idea how mm-hmm. to do this? That's great. Absolutely. I think when we lead with curiosity and, you know, I've heard Aaron say this before, it's so powerful when we lead with curiosity instead of expertise. Mm. Well, in my experience, this is what you should do. Right. This is what you should, well, have you tried or should you, when our response to someone's pain is to tell them to do, we've missed the mark. Mm. Yes. I agree. Our response is to dwell with them and say, tell me more. And I Mm. think, First, our job is to get curious with them. And then our job is to get curious with ourselves. Because, you know, when I do trauma-informed leadership trainings for um, for pastoral teams, oftentimes the question that, that kind of shifts the atmosphere is when that person shared this, what did that bring up for you? Mm. Oftentimes our desire to push away other people's pain really? is a reflection of the ways that we're pushing away our own pain. Right. And God is using community to draw out a truth in ourselves that many of us want to hide behind expertise, behind yeah. titles, behind power, behind structure. And wow. we as the church have to ask ourselves, why is the church one of the last places people in pain want to come? Mm. Right. If, we, if oh. we are meant to be ambassadors of the one who heals of the the most healing presence that is why the last place and much of it is because a lot of us experience healing from christ as new believers and then that desire to be healed by christ becomes a desire to wield christ's healing power for ourselves through structure I want to be the person who heals somebody else. And something I tell a lot of leaders is you can't master vulnerability. Vulnerability is contextual and it's a moving mark. Nobody can master it. And many of us are used to sharing things that were vulnerable in one season and saying it in this season as if we're really truly connecting to people. But what was vulnerable three years ago is not what's vulnerable right now. And mm-hmm. many people have rehearsed the pain of the past or the pain of certain seasons oh. that now don't cost them anything to share. If wow. we're being vulnerable, it's mental wow. crisis. That's what makes vulnerability something that connects us to other people. So one of my favorite um, 
studies is wow. about uh, the brain-to-brain connection. It's called um, brain neuro-brain coupling. Um, the study was done by a man named Yuri Hassan. And in the study, he talks about how when people share stories that are descriptive, that mm-hmm. are personal, and that are detailed, when I tell the story to you, your brain will light up in the exact same places my brain is lit up as the person who experienced it. When I share with true vulnerability, you are physically and biologically affected by what I say, right? And what does scripture say? Scripture says faith comes by hearing. But many of us don't have that faith coming by hearing because we're not hearing stories that are personal, that are descriptive, Mm. that are honest, right? That like the brain can literally tell when we're regurgitating and manufacturing things. So when you tell a story in a way that uh, is depersonalized, when you tell a story that is not descriptive, they're hearing it, but their brain's not lighting up as if they're experiencing it. Imagine you experience the power of God through the healing of your mental and emotional health. Imagine you told them the raw details of what God heals you from. Yeah. Imagine the hope, the joy, the the presence that you experience. Imagine all the places that light up in your brain being lit up in the brain of someone who doesn't know who God is. Wow. Wow. I mean, th- there's, yeah. there's a word there yeah. that's so important for our generation. Yeah. Kobe, I'm so, wow. I'm so curious yeah. on this. You, I, I feel this like you really believe in curiosity and connection, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, for sure. And and I'm so curious on your experiences mm-hmm. with connection because I feel in my experience with leadership and other people's stories that leadership is heavy. Leadership takes a posture of perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, leadership takes a narrative of you have to have it all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I truly believe that we as humans were created to connect, yeah. right? Absolutely. And more often than not, in my personal experience, that connection came through vulnerability and that that um, that free will of trusting someone through the lens of vulnerability. And because of that, I get to share parts of my story and then I'm loved in return. Yeah. But I think more often than not, when we come to different relationships or maybe people that we don't know, there's a real fear mm-hmm. that people have of if I share, then I will not be loved. Yeah. And we yeah. are living in a shame-based culture based yeah. on that you can't be vulnerable because you have to have it all together. Right. How do we disrupt that narrative within yeah. a local church? That's great. So there are a lot of things that can happen from the bottom up, right? Um, Culture always, always, always happens from the top down. Yes. And the one thing we have to ask in our organizations are what are we rewarding? Not explicitly, but implicitly. Yes. So good. Right? Not in a way that's obvious because we say we love vulnerability here, but when someone is vulnerable, how do we act? Mm-hmm. How do we respond? What is the language that we use? Right. How do people engage with them? Right. And, you know, we forget that as leaders, we're not just leading people. We're leading in posture. We're leading in vulnerability, meaning right. that sometimes we're the one who has to set our foot down first and say, I'm struggling with this right now. And yet I still believe that God can work through me because I think one of like the weird, um, I think that can be, 
toxic in, in leadership culture is if you are struggling, you cannot lead. Yeah. Mm. Right. And yet we look at scripture and the only people God calls to lead are people who are struggling. <laughs> because sometimes service is the way in which we are healed because what does service do? It connects us. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that yeah. connection is often what heals us. That connection is often what exposes us to a part of God that we wouldn't naturally um, get to experience on our own because of what we're experiencing. I tell people all the time, there's a reason why isolation is the second highest form of punishment other than death. Wow. There's a, there's a reason why it, your brain literally shrinks in isolation. There's a reason why solitary confinement is the highest punishment beyond killing someone wow. and you tell leaders in pain, go isolate yourself, then come back and join the community. What does that tell people? I don't belong unless I look like this. Mm -hmm. I don't belong, belong unless I'm experiencing this. I don't belong uh, if I'm still struggling with this. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. And, and we teach, especially wow. in communities of faith, what we're teaching is there is a condition to right. your position in the body of Christ, there's a condition to your honor in the family of Christ. Mm. Right. And that is the very antithesis of what the gospel is. Yeah. What's, what's really interesting, Kobe, is I feel like uh, within the local church, we've elevated organizational values. Oh my gosh. Not enough personal values and For sure. personal values and the essence of a human and the essence of the human heart or the essence yep. of brain. Wow. Yep. And we think that just organizational values will solve the dysfunction or the chaos within the church. Yeah. Yep. And I would love to talk about with the next generation, obviously this is uh, a webinar with senior leaders coming on, um, mm -hmm. educating the next gen when the next gen want to enter into a, uh, a local church, how do we create an organization or ministry mm -hmm. Um, or a nonprofit. Yeah. So ministry leaders of the next gen or next gen pastors, next gen leaders mm -hmm. can lead out of the, the core values of the human heart, the conditions of the heart, the conditions of the mind to empower a better culture, to empower yeah. more beautiful culture when it comes down to the local church. Um, where, where are some like uh, starting places mm -hmm that you would say when it comes down to educating senior leaders on maybe trying to pivot towards more of the core values of, of, of a human over maybe just the organizational wins. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, my personal, very personal opinion. I think that every uh, church should have a therapist on staff. Yeah. I think every church should have a therapist that. on staff. I think we can't only want to understand how God designed humans when humans get on our nerves and when mm -hmm. humans disrupt our systems. Yeah. And oftentimes as these people are dealing with this. Let's find a therapist, bring them in, talk for a little bit and then continue doing what we're doing. Like we want the momentary satisfaction of saying I responded to this instead of saying I am willing to restructure my entire organization to honor the biological realities that God created of human beings, knowing that Jesus came in the flesh to redeem the flesh. And so how we operate in the flesh matters to him, mm -hmm. right? We have, there has to be a foundational understanding. And to be quite honest, I think that's a lot of the reason why a lot of people are 
not leaving the church, but leaving the church to gain understanding of their mental, emotional health, because many times we want just one person to have all the answers and they're not trained, equipped or anointed to do all of that work. Yes. They are meant to share that burden, right? Mm -hmm. Because what happens when Moses is overwhelmed, he already had Aaron and Miriam and then God sends 70 more elders. Wow. Wow. 70 more elders. And we want, we always want to keep the top, this like tight knit circle. And oftentimes the church becomes like this spiritual pyramid scheme. Yes. And, and people are like, but what about this? Help me understand this. How do I, how do I operate in a world where I am biologically responding to something that emotionally I'm removed from? That's a real thing. Right. How do I respond to the fact that I'm having nightmares, that I'm having panic attacks, things that are out of my control? And and we have to understand the biological and neurological foundation of these things. And there are people that God has has equipped to do that. And we have to invite them into the spaces before things are wrong, before they fall apart, before there's a, a suicide in the community, before there's anxiety, before someone's fallen or stumbled or however we want to label it. We have to care about it before there's a fire you know it's right it's so right. it's so interesting all the examples you just brought up because a lot of times in the conversations around a moral failure mm-hmm. we don't talk mm-hmm. about wow. the mental stuff that was happening we talk about oh they must have been burnt out they yep. must have hired yep. a good accountability system mm-hmm. but what we don't talk is the real triggers that could have been going off in their brain from a previous trauma when they were little, right? Like we don't talk about the fact that there could have been a real trauma that happened within their community that um, really set them off in a different direction. And we see this all the time. And if we're not, if we're not, if we don't have people in our lives as leaders who are trained to notice those and not just say, You know, like if I, when I am in seasons where I am struggling with something, my, my two closest girlfriends, those are the girls that will Mm -hmm. call me out on sin that will say, yo, I think you're missing this. Hey, rearrange here. But it's my emotional health coach who will look at me and ask the deeper questions and ask Mm -hmm. the questions about trauma and my family and how does, like, how am I really feeling about this? And, and I can say, is this, is this, is this a mental issue, right? Like we need, I think it's a little bit prideful, honestly, for us as leaders to just say, all we need are good accountability systems and we'll be totally fine, right? As opposed to admitting, no, we just, just like God has given us this gifting and anointing to maybe lead or maybe preach or maybe pastor. I mean, he's given people like you, Kobe, a leading a calling, an anointing, and you've done the training mm-hmm. to understand the human brain in a way that's so important. And uh, on our call last week, our webinar, Lindsay Blodge talked about this, that we don't, you know, sometimes pastors hear this and they think, oh, so I have to like be an expert in all things mental health now too. And, and she's like, no, that's the point is partner yeah. with people mm-hmm. who this is what they are called to and what they've done. So let, let's say, you know, somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, okay, our, our church is not trauma-informed. Yeah. We don't have any training. 
they're realizing I don't have any training. Like what's the first step? Like is the first step, Hey, just everyone on staff should be going to counseling themselves. Is it, Hey, let's just start to create a relationship with some counselors in the community. How do they find those people? Like what, what does this process look like to become like a trauma informed church? Absolutely. I would say uh, find a therapist. Oftentimes there are therapists in your church. Yeah. You know, like there are literally therapists in your church and um, the church I go to, I'm I'm honored to be able to consult, you know, they have um, a care ministry and they have care people who are there to pray with people and, and walk them through some really hard stuff. But sometimes they say, Hey, I think this is out of our league. Kabe, are you willing to come in and join this conversation? Kabe, what do you th- what do you think about this? Even if you can't join the conversation, what are your thoughts on this? Right, mm-hmm. obviously with people's consent and and um, withholding, uh, not withholding, utilizing um, confidentiality. But there are people. I will tell you this: almost every therapist who identifies as a Christian, as I that I know, is ready to serve. Mm-hmm. Is ready to say, "Hey, I think this is what you guys need to start doing. I think this is where you guys can start, like you know, changing things." Or, "Hey, I, you may not realize this language actually is kind of shaming to some people, right?" And I think that getting started um, by looking in your body, right, because there are people in the body who are ready to be utilized. We're so used to like That's focusing right. on the head and the neck that we forget that there's like shoulders and arms and legs and a torso and all these other parts. Um, And beyond that, just getting together therapists in the community who have different specialties and eating disorders and trauma and immigration and, and so many different things and getting together, having a meeting and asking for a training. You know, there are people like me, there are people like so many other people I know who already have church trainings for Mm-hmm. trauma for understanding mental health because there are resources that we can give to leaders mm-hmm. that they can utilize to increase um, their trauma competency without them being therapists. Wow. When we go back to school, there are tools that we have right now that we can give to you right now that you can utilize as soon as we give it to you. Um, but there are people who, who need to know that those resources are out there and uh-huh. also need to know that it's important to have so that they can start looking for them. Wow. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Kobe, this has been incredible. Yeah, um, truly. Thank you, God. Yeah. We just have a couple minutes left. I wanted to ask you one last question. Yeah. Um, I think within our culture, we're dealing with this epidemic of mental health, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to maybe learn a little bit apart about your story. Yeah. Why does mental health matter to you so much? Mm. Why is that such like a hard tick for you? Yeah. And how do you, how do you, cause I think the hardest part in leadership sometimes within, um, if you're leading anyone, if you're leading a team, if you're leading an organization is if you care about something and you've spent years or months or, um, uh, 10,000 hours, they say to be an expert on something. And it's so hard to re-engage that person into those same emotions, those feelings, though, that care for that passion that you have, Mm -hmm. uh, for maybe a specific area. And so I would love is for maybe you to talk to the leaders of, why 
why is mental health so important to you? Um, and how do how do we as leaders um, empower people mm. to care about it faster than mm. later? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Do you guys want the long story or the short story? Um, we have to like 945. So, <laughs> okay. I'll give you the semi long. So I'll give you the meeting. Okay. Give cool. us the whole thing. Uh, in 2019, 2019, 2013, I was a sophomore in college and I was the quintessential party girl. You know, I was, I was out and about everyone's friend, and on the outside, it looked like everything was going great. But on the inside, I was lonely. I was confused. I Grew up in church, but felt like the church had no answers for the questions that I had. And so I kind of became the person who was like, oh, I identify as a Christian, but didn't really live out in relationship with God. So 2013, I had went into my apartment, left a party. I had some Percocets because I was supposed to get my wisdom teeth out, but the appointment got canceled, but I'd already cashed out on the pills. And I had a bottle of vodka in my room, the pills. And I remember just sitting there and being like, God, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like this is, there's life felt like a cycle of asking people to love me only to find out that they didn't want to. Yeah. Right. Wow. And so I remember writing a note to my sister, to my roommates, taking those pills, drinking the vodka and just deciding I'm going to sleep and I'm okay if I don't wake up. Yeah. Mm. And Oh. Uh, this guy named Brent, who is hilariously now my brother-in-law, he was like my, the weird Christian friend who was like, let me tell you about Jesus. And you're like, no, but you can drive us home from the bar, you know? <laughs> and he was, you know, he was that person who, who uh, was always there, even when you weren't really interested in believing in the Lord. And so I lay my head down to go to sleep and um, I get a text from him and he said, Hey, I was praying. The Lord told me that you took some pills, that you drank some vodka. And he told me to tell you to not go to sleep because you're not going to die. And he has a purpose for your life. I still mm-hmm. get tears talking about it. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. That was the first time I ever experienced that there was a God who saw me. Yeah, that was the first time, and I was like weirded out. I was like, "Nope, this is not real. I'm high. I'm drunk. This is not real. This is not real." And so I, I didn't even respond if I if I'm remembering correctly. And I, I just turned my phone off, turned my phone off, put it under my pillow, lay back down, and my phone starts ringing. And I'm like, "I know. I just turned my phone off." Wow. And he said, "Hey, the Lord said stop trying to turn your phone off," and my phone would not turn off, no matter what I did. My phone and he just kept texting me and telling me that God loved me and that he saw me and he desired Mm. to be with me. And I could not sleep even though I tried to. (laughs) And um, we, we texted all the way to like seven AM, and he was like, Hey, come to church with me. And I went to church. I walked in and like the Holy spirit took a bat and knocked me upside my head. And I literally just fell to the ground and laid on the floor the entire service Wow. And that was the day I gave my life to Christ. 
And I was on this incredible spiritual high. I was like, oh my gosh, Jesus is everything. Like, I love God. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know who Jesus is? <laughs> I, I was, I was wow. in this beautiful space of just, I felt like I was literally like in heaven. It was just amazing. And then day seven hit and I was back depressed. Yeah. And I remember the weight of the rejection I experienced in church. I've yeah. had this tangible experience of like, there is a God who loves me and sees me. I know that without a shadow of a doubt, but why is everyone making it seem like I am trying to be depressed? Wow. Right. Are you, are you going to Bible study? Yeah. Well, are you praying? Yeah. Well, there must be a sin in your life that you need to repent of. Yeah. And as a young Christian, I was like, I was I was becoming stringent to the point of legalism because there was this this community of people who were well-meaning but did not understand mental health who were like this has to be something you are doing wow. this cannot be something that is happening to you and um I remember saving up my my like food money and looking for a therapist and I found this therapist Brooke she was a Christian counselor and she helped me understand that there was something that was happening to me and mm -hmm. that God was inviting me into healing through looking back at what I'd experienced, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about sanctification, but sanctification is a process of change. If something's going to change, you have to look at what is being changed, wow. what mm -hmm. is being renewed. And she helped me see that like getting saved was very much like going to therapy and recognizing you have a problem. And sanctification was like actually continuing to attend therapy, which was giving space for God to do the work. Mm -hmm. Like just because you say yes to Jesus doesn't mean you know how to live with him. Yes. Wow. Right. Doesn't mean you know how to dwell with him. Yeah. And like, just because I said yes to Jesus and just because I realized there are things in my life that didn't know how to, that needed to change, didn't mean that I knew how those things would change and didn't know, doesn't mean I, I knew how to live a changed life. Yeah, you know, and so I just became really passionate about it because I saw in many of the people who, again, were well-meaning, but but so honestly hurtful in my in my process was that they were they had their own struggles that they didn't know how to deal with. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so again, because they were rejecting that in themselves, they were rejecting that in me. It was like, wow. uh, well, if well, that's what I tell myself, if I'm anxious, it's because I must be doing something wrong. I must fast. I, I became like someone who was like an incessant faster and staying all night, all night and praying. And like God became a place of work instead of rest. Wow. And I started to try to figure, I like started to try to fit, use like scripture to figure out the answer and then come back to God and be like, ah, oh, God, I know the answer. I must've done this. And A, B, C, D, E, F, G, instead of letting the spirit be what he was sent to be, which is a comforter. Mm -hmm. Who needs comfort? People in pain. Yes. Amen. Wow. And so um, I just, I decided to end up going to Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, getting my master's in Christian counseling and um, have been at it ever since. It's just been a, a passion of mine because I know there are people out there who love the Lord and not just love the Lord. There are people out there who are anointed to lead, mm -hmm. who have who are crying out to God like Moses is, who are saying, God, I don't know if I want to live. And God's saying, yeah, I'm sending you support so that you could lead the masses. Yeah. Support so you can do what no one else has done. And that 
those two things aren't mutually exclusive. You can struggle with your mental health because we are living in a fallen world and you can operate in the anointing that God has for you. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Kobe, wow. that was, Kobe. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for mm-hmm. sharing your story. Um, so amazing. Yeah. Love what God's done in your life. So yeah. glad you're here and what you yeah. specialize in and prioritize in your life it means so much to me specifically. Mm-hmm. So, uh, thanks for being that type of leader. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Kobe, this was amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think what has happened is an example of the power of vulnerability. And yeah. so thank you Kobe for going first. Because for all the pastors and leaders who are watching this right now, something happened, right? Like we we all felt it as we got the honor and the privilege of hearing Kobe's story. And it's this reminder that when we choose, just like Kobe said earlier today, when we choose to be brave, to share vulnerably, to, to be really honest about the struggles in our lives, it actually builds the faith of other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Kobe, thank you for building our faith today. Um, Thank you for building the faith of others. And thank you for being somebody who became the person that you needed when you were in college, Mm -hmm. right? Like that is beautiful. And um, I'm, I'm grateful for how the church, the future of the church will look different because of how you are speaking, how you are training, how you are equipping people to be better at having conversations on trauma and welcoming our churches with warmth and with empathy and with understanding. So I just wanted to, to speak that and, and, and to say how grateful we are mm-hmm. that you would spend time here on this show to educate. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm yeah. leaving a better leader after this conversation. Yeah. yeah I would love to just pray and then we'll close it yeah. out. Yeah. Good. yeah. Father, thank you so much for, uh, Kobe, Father, I just thank you for her heart and her passion and her love for you and her love for people. Father, I just pray that as we uh, grow together as a community, as a tribe, as a people group, as followers of you, Father, I just pray that we'll be people that are focused on um, the imperfect parts of people and see them for who they really are and to love them for who they are in progress not for who they need to be, but who, who, who you wired them to be. Mm-hmm. And so father, I just pray that we'll be quick to empathize, quick to listen, quick to learn, quick to be curious, quick to love, quick to pray, quick to um, be compassionate. Mm-hmm. Uh, father, I pray that we'll bring your heart to your people um, like Obey does uh, each and every day of her life. And so, Father, I just thank you for her leadership. I pray that you'll just turn favor towards her. I pray that you'll just bless her ministry and all that she has in front of her. Uh, God, we thank you for this time. Amen. 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 Kobe, we're so grateful for you. I'm, I'm sure a lot of leaders are watching this and thinking, I, I need to continue to learn from this incredible, powerful woman. Um, where can they go to access your content and learn more about your ministry? Absolutely. So on socials, it's at Kobe Campbell underscore. Um, That's pretty much everywhere. And um, if you're interested in getting me to come speak to you or do a trauma-informed training, you can visit www.kobecampbell.com. And I would love to serve and connect to you. Amazing. Thank you so much. This has been 
absolutely fantastic. For those watching today, thank you so much for tuning in. We're so grateful. Yeah. And just to let you all know, we are coming to a city near you. If you're going to be in the Bay Area, you can come to a regional event that Exponential will be hosting. Uh, you can go to exponential.org slash events and check out the Bay uh, Area um, regional event. We hope to see you there. Thanks for attending and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Network podcast and joining the conversation for what is next for the church and its leaders. We look forward to connecting with you as we bring our questions, contribute our wisdom, and pursue what is next. Visit leadnet.org for more resources, information about leader cohorts, and more. That is leadnet.org.